Today's sponsor is Stamps.com. Avoid trips to the post office. Use Stamps.com to buy and print official U.S. postage right from your computer. Go to Stamps.com today and sign up for a special offer. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage and type in decode. Today is also sponsored by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at Audible.com slash decode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode. You may know me best as Donald Trump's rabbi, but in my spare time, I talk tech and you are listening to Recode Decode, a podcast about Silicon Valley's key players, big ideas, and how they are changing the world we live in. Today in the red chair, I'm really happy to have Jeremy Stoppelman, the CEO and co-founder of Yelp. It's been more than a decade since the launch of the crowdsourced reviewing platform, and today the business must contend with the world where smartphones are ubiquitous, private competitors are raising money by the truckload, and Google still exists. Welcome, Jeremy. Thanks for having me. Great to finally be in the red chair. Finally be in the red chair. You deserve it. (laughs) Only Uh, took 10 years. Oh, stop. (laughs) So... um, Let's talk a little bit about uh, Yelp itself at 10 years. It's, it's an astonishing, you're kind of an old company at this point, right? Or? Um, I guess in Silicon Valley terms, perhaps. Well, you're I do have gray hair. Right, you and do. When, and when we started Yelp, the VCs told me, well, we couldn't leave you as CEO. We'd have to bring in a professional, you know, a gray-haired mm-hmm. executive. Right, what they so described. now you decided now to be that, that great yeah. So you're, it's like Obama, you know, he's now gray-haired and everything I've else. Noticed, so yeah. I want to know Ages who's giving you. you your gray hair, what's causing that problem. But let's talk a little All bit about the history of, of Yelp. Um, how is it? Talk about how it's changed and what you thought it was at the beginning and what it's become. Yeah, I mean, in the very beginning, the original idea was, hey, can you ask friends for recommendations? Is Mm -hmm. that a way to bring word of mouth online? Right. Because the initial idea that, hey, people are just going to write reviews, like, we, we didn't think people would actually do that, that right. they there would just sit there writing reviews. That, right, long ago. There was in the product space, but there was nothing right. really local. Like restaurants, you had kind of the professional critics. Mm-hmm. City Search tacked on consumer reviews, and but it was Microsoft really a lot of Microsoft did that sidewalk spam. and stuff yeah. like that. And, and so the, you know, we thought if you could capture word of mouth, bring it online, that's the process we all like to find local businesses anyways, that would be really powerful. But we didn't think people would just sit there writing reviews. Right. And, and so we created the service that was really about Q&A. And uh, launched it. It didn't work out of the box. What were you doing before? I don't actually know. What was it? What was your... Uh, I got my start really at PayPal. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was kind of my, my first real adventure. Mm-hmm. Uh, I interviewed with Elon that? Musk actually at X.com, which was oh, one X, of the precursors. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so Elon uh, hired me, and uh, and we I, I actually stuck it out. Uh, there was a lot of drama uh, mm-hmm. for those that have followed the, the PayPal history. Right. And uh, you know, rose through the engineering ranks, was an engineering manager, VP of engineering ultimately, and then went off to business school for a year. And then when uh, I was back between my first and second year of business school, that's when I started Yelp. And what was the impetus for doing it? What did you say? What was the big aha moment? I mean, we saw Craigslist was transforming the newspaper industry, it carved mm-hmm. out the really profitable classifieds. And we started looking around like what other old media businesses haven't really been transformed by the Internet mm-hmm. uh, that we might be able to take a shot at. And you know, right underneath our monitors was that big fat Yellow Pages book. And we're like, why hasn't, you know, why does the Yellow Pages still exist in 2004? It didn't make sense to us. Uh, But we felt like, you know, to to recreate it on the internet in a new powerful way, we had to have a new idea. And we started thinking about, okay, how how do you find local businesses? And it led to this word of mouth. Like word of mouth is what gets us really excited about going to a new local business. Trust is key. And the Yellow Pages fundamentally is just a book of ads. It's all Mm -hmm. pay to play. And so we thought maybe with the internet, we could transform that. And and calling it Yelp was just Yelp. Who named that? Was that you? Uh, that was not me. Uh, so in the incubator that Max Levchin started, mm-hmm. MRL Ventures, uh, there was a guy, David. Mm-hmm. And uh, he was spending some time uh, working on the original concept with us, the Ask Your Friends for Recommendations. And I had come up with the name Yokel. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> like Y-O-C-A-L, I guess it was. Mm, that's a catchy uh, one. Yeah, and, and I couldn't buy the domain. It was really right. frustrating. They wouldn't good. sell it to that me. that was good. And so, you know, we were down to the wire. It was two weeks before launch, and, uh, and so David was in the incubator and was spending some time trying to help us out since we couldn't buy that domain, and he was like, how about this Yelp thing? It's like Yelp help, Yelp yellow pages. Yeah. 
And uh, and so when we heard it, we're like, that's kind of negative. Like right. it's a cry for help. Right. And maybe that's not going to work for us. But there was another person in the incubator who was actually involved in the naming of PayPal. Mm-hmm. Uh, this guy Scott Bannister, and he just freaked out. He's like, that's the name. That's the name. And, uh, and he sat down and started working on buying it for us. Right. And uh, the rest was kind of history. Wow, that's interesting. This is how these things start. Someone yells louder than the other person. Yeah, yeah. pretty much. So it's what, a fight. what has changed? It was a web-only kind of thing. It was very web-focused. 2.0. We were web 2.0. Okay, remember right, that whatever. whole phase? It yes, was like the dig cover on yes, Business Week. And I remember. All that good stuff. Yeah. So what 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 has changed? What what has been the most? Like obviously, Web two point didn't last that long. It didn't. The, the, it's still going. I mean, we well, have like 100, a hundred north of one hundred forty million was it a web based on our Web two No, no. But I mean, but it's still that's not the way things are going. It's going mobile. Everything's that's going true. mobile. Mm-hmm. Did you think it would shift that quickly? We had some inkling um, that that mobile, especially once the real smartphones launched, particularly the iPhone, mm-hmm. we we kind of knew that the future was going to go in that direction. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, we thought mobile was interesting, but it was so rudimentary. It was so mm-hmm. stripped down. You, I don't know if you remember WAP sites, yep. mm-hmm. <laughs> like yep. those horrible things. We actually had one, yeah. Um, but, but it was really a toe in the water at that point, and we weren't excited about it. It wasn't until the iPhone that the light bulb went on and we said, mobile is here. We need to start investing in this. And so right. we were one of the you know, premier uh, apps on, with the launch of the App Store. When mm-hmm. the iPhone launched, we were there, mm-hmm. and uh, Apple was somewhat impressed. They featured us in some commercials and gave mm-hmm. us uh, a little bit of promotion mm-hmm. uh, in the early days, and, and that you know was great because I felt like when the smart you know when the iPhone launched, there were, I had a lot of fear actually that hey, there's a new starting line, right? And so with you know the launch of the original Yelp site. There's obviously a lot of risk in that moment. Can you get it to work? Chicken and egg, can you solve mm-hmm. that? And then it was working. And so we had a couple of years there where mm-hmm. we're just cranking and you know, we're, we're getting lots of reviews and people are, are finding the site really helpful. And then this smartphone thing launches and we're like, oh, crap. Right. Like we're back to square one. If we right. don't nail this in a couple of years, we could start being irrelevant. Irrelevant. And it's the classic. Although you just did you know, say that you know, there's still a lot of people using the website. Do you still right. think that's an important part of your business or do you, how do you look at it? Because that's like a lot of people just won't do say that anymore. Won't say the web is important. No, I mean I, I think the web is still important, and, and we still get a lot of new users uh, from there. We get a lot of content mm-hmm. from there. But I mean, the the majority it has shifted to app, mm-hmm. uh, app in particular. Like a lot of people talk about mobile web, uh, mm-hmm. but we're we're quite app focused. I mean, we still do obviously a lot of mobile web development, and and we do you know sort of desktop web development, mm-hmm. and there's a lot of people touching those sites. Um, but app does feel like the long-term future, I think, you know, several years from now, I, it's hard to say how much web traffic we'll, we'll have, but I think people will be more, you know, tuned into just the app. Would point. you ever consider not using it at all or just, you just, why not just milk it to the end kind of thing? Or how do you look at it? I mean, there, you know, with, with any technology, maybe it gets small enough, it becomes, you know, so irrelevant that you, you don't need it anymore. But mm-hmm. I think with the web, we're far from that point. I okay. mean, there's still... A lot of, a lot so of people what, touching what do you what has struck you as been the biggest change in ten years? And we're going to get to current comp- competition and things like that. But what do you what do you look at when you look back on ten years? What do you feel like you missed, or what you got right, or what's what has shifted rather dramatically in consumer behavior? I mean, there's been so many different waves uh, of excitement and, and despair and, and ups and downs. Like I think about, obviously, there was we talked about the mobile transition. That was huge. That was kind mm-hmm. of the, the probably the, the biggest, most memorable thing. There were other waves that you, I'm sure you remember mm-hmm. well, like the Facebook. Uh, you know, everyone's going to build stuff inside Facebook. Right inside that was and, the and for about moment. eight months, I think nine months. Everybody in Silicon Valley almost stopped working on their own website and started like building on this Facebook Facebook API thing. And you know, that that was an interesting moment where we had to decide, do we take our our fledgling, you know, relatively small engineering team and Mm -hmm. take them off our core product and go and build something inside Facebook. And we opted to make a very tiny investment where it was just literally me as kind of the product manager and our VP of engineering did some Mm -hmm. prototyping, but we didn't bet the farm Mm -hmm. on Facebook. And looking back on that, it saved us Mm -hmm. a lot of development time and getting the the team off track for something that ultimately didn't pan out for a lot of... It worked a little bit for gaming for a few years, but then it kind of fizzled out. Sort of a little bit of a Ponzi scheme there. So so it's interesting, though, that these manias or these sort of moments of excitement sometimes turn out to be really big trends, like right. obviously mobile was. Right. And then other times, everyone buys in, everyone's excited about it, 
and then it just kind of fades. What's another the one background. like that? Facebook um, is probably the biggest. Yeah, I mean, I guess like from a, a feature standpoint, everyone lost their mind over the check-in for a mm-hmm. while, and, mm-hmm. and we added it, and it still remains an important contribution type for us, but it's just one of many contribution types. I mean, photos and reviews are still the the main event at Yelp, but that, you know, that was something where everybody had to, everybody was talking about it for, you know, a couple of years, a year and a half or so. And then it just kind of faded. We're going to talk about that, how you resist that in the last part of the thing. But when you think about something that you think you got exactly right, what do you, what do you think of in this time frame? I don't know that there's anything I could say I got exactly right there. You know, with, e- even today when I look at our best features, best functionality, but, you know, our app is, is obviously uh, a really exciting thing for the company and a place where we pour lots of, of resources and focus. But there's always, a, you know, pages or areas of it where I just cringe and I'm like, damn it, <laughs> we haven't, you know, we built that once, you know, three years ago, we haven't revisited it. It's mm-hmm. just a mess. So I, I have a heart, you know, and I think any any product person or product focused person has a hard time saying it's done, it's perfect, I've nailed it. Like there's always, oh, let's try this, let's try that, or mm-hmm. it's not quite right. Do you spend most of your time easier. thinking of the product? I mean, These you're a public days, company too, and you've got yeah. challenges <laughs> from competitors. And- I mean, I've, I've always tried to carve out time for product because it's kind of an area of passion yeah, in the early days of Yelp. You know, I was essentially the product manager. That, mm-hmm. that was my job, um, and, and I think it it's important, especially if you're the founding CEO. To you know, usually you add a unique uh, element of value to the company, and it, if you find yourself being completely drawn away from that, one, the company's losing out because that was your special skill to begin with, mm-hmm. and two, also I think it can lead to burnout. Like suddenly you're not doing anything that that you're totally passionate about and totally engaged in and feel really rewarded by. And so I've always tried to balance the org such that I can, you know, spend some of my time right. on, on product. But I, I certainly, I can't spend the time that I used to. Because you're a public company CEO. we were like a, a 10-person company. Yeah, how do you public like, company CEO. How, how do you feel? I asked Aaron Levy that. He's not, he thinks it's harder than he thought. I thought he was like pro. He's, he's kind pro of pro being public. Kind of. He's pretty fired up about it. Yeah. Although he does. <laughs> he's see, only been, I think he's only been he public He sees for the a year, advantages though. of not being, <laughs> I think. And we'll talk about that next when we cut back. But first, a word from our sponsor. With the holidays almost here, you probably have even less time now than ever to go to the post office. Traffic is crazy, parking is limited, and the post office will be packed with your entire city trying to mail gifts and packages all at once. Well, the good news is that anything you can do at the post office, you can do right from your desk with stamps.com. Buy and print official U.S. postage for any package or letter using your own computer and printer the instant you need it. Right now, sign up for Stamps.com and use the promo code DECODE for this special offer. A four-week trial plus a $110 bonus offer, including postage and a digital scale. Just go to Stamps.com, click on the microphone at the top of the homepage, and type in DECODE. It's that simple. Go to Stamps.com and use the promo code DECODE to get started today. We're here with Jeremy Stoppelman, the founder of Yelp, yeah. the uh, service I think we all use, the review site. Um, one of the things we just were talking about is being a public company. Has it been a good thing for you to go public? Um, it's an interesting um, question. The longest down there. <laughs> wow. Yeah, I, a I ringing think I, endorsement of the yeah, public market. I think it's a mixed bag. Yeah, I think it's when you see these people bag. with all this money and being private, it's kind of probably like yeah. That. I'd say over the last couple of years, it, it became more difficult to be a public company CEO um, because you you do ha- you are competing at some level, not necessarily directly, but with unicorns and ever rising valuations and no volatility. And so when you're trying to sell, you know, a potential candidate, you've got this volatile stock thing you're dealing with that, mm-hmm. that may go up, may go down, and can you know, help and, and hurt it as a result a, versus some company where it just feels so much more stable. And it's not right. actually as sta- – you know, obviously, there's perceptions that mm-hmm. are moving up and down, but the stock price isn't floating. Right. And, you know, and there, there's some value in that. But I, I think now what we're seeing is you can't do that forever on the, on the unicorn side. Right. Um, and, you know, depending on who you took investment from – Apparently, that can result in you being marked to market anyways. Mm-hmm. And so some of – you are seeing a little bit of a convergence there where it's like, okay, we had this period where some companies were able to absorb capital um, and not be traded publicly. But you know, now that, that, seems to be, that period seems to be ending. Do you think this ending. market correction is happening within private companies? I do. Uh, I mean, I think that that's, it's out there. You can, mm-hmm. see, you can see the mark-to-mark, you know, the, the mark-to-markets mm-hmm. that, that are happening. 
And I, I think for some companies, they're stuck in, you know, they, they kind of have two choices. One, one is kind of the, the square choice, which is, hey, you know, your price might be lower than your last round, but you have built a real business and mm-hmm. you can go public and everything will be fine. Mm-hmm. Like you just kind of have to get through that, you know, initial uh, you know, news of, hey, your, your valuation has changed. Um, and so that can be bumpy, but ultimately you do it and you're fine in, in the end. And people forget about it probably six months from now. Um, I think there's the other side of it, which is, you know, you didn't build a real business yet. You're still nascent, but you have this very high valuation and the environment has changed. And so what do you, what do, you do at that point? And that's where it gets really dangerous. And I'm not sure you know, that's played out entirely. I think companies that are in that position are probably looking at, at how do they manage costs mm-hmm. more carefully? Mm-hmm. How do they extend their runway? Um, because if you end up in a, in a down round situation, the, the way that that works, I, it's ugly. I've heard it's <laughs> quite it's nasty. Ugly. Yeah. Yeah. So you'd rather um, be in the public markets where it's just, what yeah, if you have the, if you have the option, even if your valuation is lower and you can go public and you're in that kind of late stage position, right. that's definitely the way to go. So being public, uh, you have certain things you're restricted from saying, certain things in terms of behaviors and things like that where you can't just be sort of out there. One of the things you've been doing rather vocally, though, is attacking Google. Uh, Not attacking, criticizing Google. That's not the right word. um, For their behaviors. And it's something that's been an issue for Yelp for years because of the things Google is adding into its mobile, especially its mobile products. Talk a little bit about that, where that is right now. Because this is a company that almost bought you at one point. Yeah, you know, we had some conversations over mm-hmm. the years. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> Allegedly. <laughs> Allegedly. You know, in 2009, there, mm-hmm. there was some drama there. Yeah. Um, yeah, I mean, we started Yelp uh, at a time when Google was saying, hey, we want to be a turnstile. And don't build, you know, websites for computers. Build websites for users. Just mm-hmm. have great content. And if the users love your content, we then we will it. send, you know, there was kind of an tr- implicit trade there. Give us all your content. Let us have all of your content. We'll index it. And as a reward for that, we'll send those users to, back to you. Uh, so, you, you know, if you're doing the right things, you get rewarded. And that, that worked initially. Um, and we started getting traffic and building our community that way. And over time, I think Google realized that local is really important. Mm-hmm. Um, and they wanted to invest there. And so it started with a maps investment and, and then started tiptoeing into more of the local, you know, how do, which you know, businesses should you go to. Mm-hmm. And that led them naturally to the top content providers, people like myself or you know, like our company Yelp, as well as TripAdvisor, mm-hmm. you know, name your, your sort of top content providers. There's only a, a handful of them out there. Mm-hmm. And it led them to, to license that content, bring it into Google, and, uh, and try to enhance their Maps product. Mm-hmm. And they swore up and down that this was still all about being a great partner and mm-hmm. it's going to be win-win. And we felt like, hey, there's a shot that it's still going to be win-win. And right. we actually ad- admire Google quite a bit and, and working with them was very exciting at the time. But it became clear so, that... Yeah, when did you become worried? Um, it's like, it's reminds, mean, the, me, the pages, it reminds me of the Twilight Zone episode, To Serve Man. Like, it's a cookbook. Like, I haven't seen the toilets. It's an episode where the aliens come in, save Earth, and bring peace to everyone, and it turns out they just want to eat us. So. Yeah, that's about that, – that sounds right. That's okay. a good analogy. Right. Uh, so, so we're working with them. Our, the, their page just starts looking more and more like a Yelp page built mm-hmm. out of Yelp content. Mm-hmm. And so that started feeling weird. But so long as they weren't actually gathering – content themselves it felt like okay well it's google mm-hmm. they're you know the dominant player at search really they they've become the de facto monopoly in and search. they were giving you all the traffic right or a well, lot most of-, of our traffic has always come from organic web search not right. necessarily the maps product the maps no, product but, was yes, more and more organic, competitive right. and so right. that was siphoning off traffic and we right. actually weren't getting very much and so we were right. building this secondary page that was competing with ourselves right but it was google and we wanted to be friends so we said okay and then the straw that broke the camel's back with our relationship was when they said, yeah, we want and we're going to have your content here on this page, but we're also going to collect reviews on top of that and we're going to you know, push your content down. And, and so it became clear that we're just backfill mm-hmm. for building up a, a Google property. Right. And so we said, that doesn't make sense. And we, dro- we dropped out. Um, and there was a little bit of a, you know, a standoff uh, for maybe a year or so where mm-hmm. they try, kind of tried to struggle without our content on their mm-hmm. own. And the, the final insult was, you know, they didn't, they no longer had our licensed content. And so then they, 
they decided, you know what, we're just going to steal their content. Mm -hmm. So they used their web crawl, because of course we have to give them all of our content, sure. their web you know, search monopoly. And they put all of our reviews back into their competitive product where they were collecting reviews on top of that. Mm -hmm. And so that's where we just said, all right, you know, gloves off. And it's time to go, uh, you know, <laughs> it's time to go testify to Congress. And so, right. you know, we got invited and one to, of the few to have really a conversation. Has been yeah, more. I mean, the, the reality is there are lots of people that feel very strongly in the same way that I do. Tons of people. Mm -hmm. But very few have, you know, been able to step out, out mm -hmm. of the shadows and publicly talk about this stuff. Mm -hmm. And so, I don't know, maybe it's just my personality. <laughs> maybe I'm a little bit scrappy by nature. Mm -hmm. uh, but, yeah, I mean, we've always been very public. And So what know. do you think they're doing? Because sometimes I send you pictures. I'm like, oh, I can't believe they're doing this now. Like, it's really yeah. every day there's a new product that looks like yours, right, sitting there. Well, the, the most amusing one recently was even if you typed into Google, like, TripAdvisor Hilton or Yelp, yes, Azumo, the sushi mm -hmm. place. Like they would actually, they actually now on mobile were serving up. If you type TripAdvisor, you specifically said, I want TripAdvisor, mm -hmm. they would serve up a result that was just like Google's competitive product. Mm -hmm. And in the case of like a specific business called Azumo, the sushi restaurant here in San Francisco, Yelp Azumo, they pulled up a page that looks exactly like Yelp. It has reviews on it, star mm -hmm. rating, all that stuff. And so if, if you're just a non, like a not particularly sophisticated user and you said Yelp Azumo, you might actually think, and in fact, our data suggested about a third of people thought that that was a, a Yelp page. Mm -hmm. And so Google's just completely lost its mind when it comes to focusing on the user. That's a phrase that they've had for many years, um, and, and they've really lost their way at this point. They're like, hey, local's really important. We don't like this trend towards apps, mm -hmm. and so we're going to do whatever the hell we want mm -hmm. to try and preserve our monopoly and our dominance. On the website especially. Yeah, I mean, they would love for us to live in a world that was where web was still central and the most relevant. Mm -hmm. and, and I think, you know, they're, they're doing whatever it takes to try and preserve that monopoly. And it's, it's so sad. What happens? What's the what is the what what occurs in a situation besides you being outspoken and the government sort of dropped the ball here? The U.S. government certainly did. But in Europe, it's not the case. Talk a little about the U.S. government first. Um, I mean, there was a. Uh, there was a whole investigation on the web side of things mm -hmm. uh, that the FTC led. And ultimately, you know, there's a lot of mystery around what happened there. There was mm -hmm. a leaked uh, report where we had like every other page <laughs> came out in the Wall Street Journal mm -hmm. of, of a document that basically said part of the staff of the FTC was very much in agreement that, mm -hmm. hey, there's a problem here and we should right. pursue a case. Right. And there's kind of a lot of like confusion As around why they did what, what happened there. Why did they spike it? Um, and, and it's... It's a mystery. There was also, you know, there's a lot of smoke, cloak and dagger uh, stuff around. Um, there were a bunch of academics. I believe mm -hmm. it was George Washington. No, sorry, George Mason University. And they have a program specifically around antitrust and so forth. They have a lot of academics that put up papers and they would organize conferences for the FTC staff. Mm -hmm. And in the background, Google was actually writing checks to the university and controlling mm -hmm. the agenda of conferences that this supposedly neutral university was running for the FTC staffers. Mm -hmm. So there's been a lot of a lot of, a lot of funny dealings in Washington. I think Google is extremely savvy when it comes to lobbying and mm -hmm. and you know you could ask yourself why and it's it's because I think Eric Schmidt was on the opposite side of this conversation mm -hmm. back when Microsoft was on top. Right. Like he's he's the expert. He learned the playbook. Mm -hmm. Like he was in my chair essentially. Do you imagine there any you know, action? A decade ago, or a couple have, decades ago, by the ago. U.S. government. Do you imagine any action, or is it not? It's always you know you never say never. It's mm -hmm. hard to say. Are you pressing harder for that? Or are you focusing on the European Union, which is much more aggressive? I, you know, the German publishers aren't having it. And I mean, I think the conversation that's happening in the EU is. Is interesting. I, I feel like there there is some momentum there, mm -hmm. um, and I think they're asking the right questions. And I think uh, you know the the new person in charge of us there Margaret is a very Vestia. very smart regulator, and you know is, is pursuing down the right paths. And so I'm I'm optimistic that we'll have a, a better outcome there. And I think you know in the in the U.S. it's still an open question. The FTC could always pick it up again. There's also a whole different conversation around mobile. Mm -hmm. Um, and then mobile platforms like Android. So we'll see. We'll see. But apps, they don't have as much control over the app. 
market. They Android, cut? they have Android a complete control. And you know, while in the U.S., it, you know, obviously iPhone is, is particularly and iOS is particularly strong. As soon as you go to yeah. Europe, I mean, yeah. it's like ninety percent Android, and right. so that becomes a, a pretty an interesting issue. An issue. issue. So let's we're going to move on. Uh, talk a little bit about that more in the next thing. But first, a word for another sponsor, Audible.com. If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, Audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital audio information and entertainment on the Internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Audible carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable, business, classic, history, self-development, just to name a few. Jeremy, I suppose you want me to read an antitrust book, correct? Uh, yeah, The Master Switch the Master by Switch. Tim Wu. Why is that? Tell me why. Uh, well, he's a very influential guy. I believe he coined the phrase net neutrality. Mm-hmm. And he also wrote a white paper recently talking about how there is actually consumer harm, and we can demonstrate it. When Google sends you off to their own properties, we can actually prove now that consumers are being negatively impacted. Just to make it more tangible, it's like imagine you're looking for a pediatrician in San Francisco, and Google puts its results first, and they actually don't have reviews for mm-hmm. pediatricians, but they still show you this five pediatricians, mm-hmm. and you don't even realize that you could have gone to a really fantastic one, and mm-hmm. instead you go so to a random one. the master switch. All right. Master switch, yes. Okay, Audible is offering our listeners a free audio. That seems very serious. Uh, of your choice for a free 30-day trial membership, just go to audible.com slash decode and choose from over 180,000 audio programs. Download a title free and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. You know, Jeremy, it is an interesting thing is what is the consumer harm and how do you, again, what is the Yelp harm, the harm to Yelp? Well, we still get a lot of our web traffic from Google as mm-hmm. Basically, every content site does. I'm sure Recode gets a, a portion from yes, Google as well. We seem to, yeah. And consumers fundamentally, you know, very much rely on Google and believe that it's trying to send them to the best place on the web for whatever they need. Mm-hmm. And that was an early contract that Google had with consumers. And they've since broken that contract, but it's hard to even notice. It's hard for the average person mm-hmm. to even pick up on, oh, this doesn't work like it used to. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, again, back to that example with the pediatrician, it's like someone has a sick kid and they want to go to a really great pediatrician. Yelp can actually tell them or ZocDoc can actually tell them like we both companies are getting lots of reviews on physicians. But Google puts its results first. And especially on mobile, that means you probably don't even see a web result. You just see whatever Google has. And a lot of times Google doesn't have the best answer. And so that is a consumer harm. Fundamentally, you could have gone to someone great, and instead you went to a random doctor, just as if we lived in the old Yellow Pages do, era. Do you think they're like Microsoft? I think, you know, there's certainly similarities, you know, from a how do they manage their lobbying and uh, the regulatory environment, especially in the U.S., I, they're far more advanced than Microsoft ever was when it was under similar scrutiny. So what do you do as an entrepreneur and, and, a, and a leader of your company? Is that your biggest problem? Is this continued fight with Google? Or what else? What do, what, how do you innovate? I mean, our focus has been on mobile, the mobile mm-hmm. app. Right. And in fact, 70% of our page views now are coming from mobile app. Mm-hmm. And so that does represent ever-increasing independence from Google, which is a good thing. But a lot of new app users still come from Google. And so it's important for us. And uh, so I, I continue to pay attention to it. But you know, where our attention and focus is on the innovation side is primarily you know, building new stuff inside the mobile app. And so what do you, do you imagine this is going to be a continuing fight for you? Or do you, is there at one point where you just are going to, what do you do? I think when Google's irrelevant, <laughs> <laughs> you know, maybe it, maybe it takes a decade or two. I, you know, I, with Android as well as just still 100% dominating mm-hmm. uh, the search market, I think it, it's unlikely that Google disappears as an important thing to pay attention to. But, you know, even though I spend a lot of time publicly talking about antitrust because, frankly, no one else is mm-hmm. <laughs> or no one else feels, you know, the, the ability to step out of the shadows, that's not actually what I spend all of my time. All right, or, so talk about what you're spending. Where is Yelp going? Uh, Yelp is focused on transactions, on mobile. We bought mm-hmm. 824 yeah. earlier this Explain year. That. Uh, so we created the Yelp platform mm-hmm. with the idea being, you know, just like Amazon is this very horizontal player in e-commerce, Yelp goes across all categories. Mm-hmm. And we don't just want to help you find that local business, but we'd love to close that, help you close that deal mm-hmm. as well. So you can make that reservation or you can 
buy something right on and, your phone. And there's lots of players around the edge of that open table, all kinds of different people. Yeah, open table's been around for probably 15 <laughs> years, something like that. So there are other players, but we've made some investments, both in allowing partners to plug into the Yelp platform. Mm-hmm. Uh, and E24 was actually one of our uh, first partners. Right. So what are you doing there with E24? What explain is because there's tons of delivery services. There's you know there's a lot of them and very heavily VC funded. Some people feel like they aren't going to last. Yeah, all of them. Yeah, I mean I, I think the the company that we bought is really strong, mm-hmm. uh, growing uh, growing very rapidly. So that's commerce. That's you getting into commerce. Yeah, essentially book it, booking transactions. I mean it can be in the form of reservations, like our CB product. That was another acquisition we made mm-hmm. two years ago. Mm-hmm. Um, and that one's very disruptive, I think. Why is it's, that? Explain. Uh, the pricing of it mm-hmm. transforms the industry. So right. Open, Open Table has been kind of the monopoly um, reservation in sort of. the reservation space. And uh, you talk to restaurateurs, they're not necessarily super happy with the product. Mm-hmm. It's you know kind of very old school, built on top of the Windows mm-hmm. platform back <laughs> in, I guess, the late 90s, Ugh, something bad. like that. Uh, and so CME represents a next generation product. Mm-hmm built on the iPad. And the way that Open Table charges is it charges a cover fee for every person that walks in the door. So mm-hmm. you book like a four-person table, you're paying for four people. Mm-hmm. We think that that's unfair because you know, the vast majority of restaurants' business is essentially organic traffic, people mm-hmm. that were coming in anyways. Right. And so we wanted to introduce a product that was flat rate. Mm-hmm. And so we charge $99 a month mm-hmm. uh, for the Seat Me product, which works a lot like Open Table, but is fully integrated into Yelp as well. And uh, just as a, an example, have you ever been to Slanted Door? Mm-hmm. So they were spending... Before it was fancy, but it, go ahead. Yeah, back in the mission. Back in the That's, mission. I, I walked by it a million times, but I never went when it was back in the mission. But yes, it's this fancy restaurant, very high grossing. I think one of the mm-hmm. highest grossing, if not the highest grossing in California. Mm-hmm. And they spend, for that one location on the Embarcadero, I think it's north of $140,000 with Open Table. They were spending that. And now they've moved to seat me. And they're spending twelve hundred dollars. That's pretty disruptive. What else do you imagine doing? What else is Yelp supposed to be besides a recommendation service? How do you describe it? Uh, I describe what Yelp does as connecting people with great local businesses. Okay. That's uh, essentially our mission. I mean, there's also, you know, and, and related and to that, restaurants remains the biggest part, presumably, or not? It, it goes actually quite broad. Um, it's the biggest portion of traffic, mm-hmm. uh, but it goes broader than that. I mean, one of the other things that we've been spending a lot of time thinking about and executing on is protecting consumers. Mm-hmm. So we don't just want to connect them with great local businesses, but we also want to bring other information that can be helpful. Mm-hmm. I mean, as, as part of connecting someone with a local business, you also want to make sure they're going to the right one. They're not endangering themselves. So we've invested, for instance, in incorporating health data. Mm-hmm. Uh, both on the medical side, so things like hospital sure. information from the government, nursing homes, um, and then also even on the foodborne illness side, so health scores. So we, we have a live standard, we call it, um, and we've been working with cities to standardize all the health ratings um, that different Every city has its own kind of yeah. snowflake when it comes to these health right, ratings. Yeah. So we're trying to rationalize that and bring the data into Yelp. What? What about hotels and stuff like that? Could you get into the Airbnb territory and start renting <laughs> hotel rooms and things like that? Um, I mean, we do have a, a partnership with HipMonk mm-hmm. and through Yelp platforms. So you can book hotels. I, you know, we're not going into the, the Airbnb space mm-hmm. uh, at all. But uh, but from a hotel standpoint, certainly booking you know booking a room is, is something that makes sense and can already be done. And I think we'll continue to invest in that area for sure. And what else? Where else do you imagine Yelp being in ten years from now? 10 years. Where's Recode going to be in 10 years? <laughs> I'll be in Hawaii. Uh, reviews I, on Mars. I think hopefully yeah. Elon has uh, yeah. deposited us all in a colony well, but how on long, Mars. This is a long time you stay with this company. I mean, what do, you, what do you think? You know, there's a lot of entrepreneurs who listen to this podcast. What do you, what's the thing that advice you would give them? And I don't mean like, you know, be bold, like that sort of the big, but what would you? Follow your passion. Follow your passion. Yeah. <laughs> That's always it's true. Favorite. It's a good one. Um, what do you, what do you, what's keeping you going and why are you continuing to stay there? I mean, I, I think there's something special about founding a company mm-hmm. fundamentally um, and building a team around you mm-hmm. and getting to work with people that you essentially hand selected Um. You know, there, there's something special for me. Like one of the things I really love is that this is a consumer 
focused company. Mm -hmm. And so we're about helping people find these great local businesses. And so it impacts so many people's lives, both the business owner, but so many millions of people find what they're looking for and have an incredible experience. And that just makes me feel good. And when I talk to people about Yelp, uh, you know, they give me that positive reinforcement all the time. Mm -hmm. So that's really what keeps me going is kind of the two, I'd say the two sides of it. Number one, working with people that I really love and enjoy spending time with. And then also building something that really, you know, makes consumers happy and, and gets them what they were looking yeah, for. Yeah, there were some rumors earlier this year that you were going to sell it, that it was on the market. Was it? I mean, there's always rumors. All right, but not like, has there ever asking Has that. there ever been like a to, time to where there weren't rumors? I mean, no, I yeah, feel like every week you someone's like, company? hey, I heard no, that I know. so-and-so is You're, you're talking and I'm not listening. So would you sell, because you're doing the rumor thing. I want to know, would you sell that company? Did you, were you contemplating selling it? We're a public company. Mm-hmm. And so we have a fiduciary duty to oh, always nice. consider. Well done. Well done, public <laughs> company CEO. Do you, My PR team would be proud. Where do you imagine it going, your Yelp going, just continuing to do more of what you do? Or is there some area that you're going to go into? I'm really excited about this transactions direction. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, so that, you know, continuing to build that out, um, both with partners and then, you know, both here and internationally. In, Internationally is also a component of what we're doing. Right. Um, I mean, I think some of that's been challenged back to not to harp on the Google subject, right. but you know, Android. Google has made growth there more challenging right. as they've moved in. Right. But uh, yeah, we do have an international footprint and you know, have millions of people touching the site every month there. And, and last question, if you weren't, since you're not going to tell me whether you're going to sell your company, um, if you had to do anything right now, if you were a very young entrepreneur, you're not an old person at all. I'm 30 I feel old. Oh, I do too. Uh, <laughs> and I'm older than you. But what would you do? What area would you get into? Like if you weren't in this area, if you couldn't do this, is there one area that you would, you're like, ah, oh, that's pretty cool that you see, or a company that you see that you'd be like, ah, oh, that's fantastic. Hmm. I mean, I, I have a lot of fun with video and with drones. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm a big fan of like, DJI, the yeah. I think it's a Chinese, Chinese company, company. and uh, and both their video products, like they have the new like Steadicam thing, mm-hmm. and the drones. I, I have a bunch of that stuff. Mm-hmm. Play with it all the time. So and I can why see, do you like that? What is? It? I just think there's a a lot of potential for what drones could. Where are you know? I'm just recycling mm-hmm. ideas that are out there. The Amazon delivery stuff, like you know, it seems very pie in the sky. And their initial video on mm-hmm. 60 minutes kind of seems okay. silly and was silly. But I, I do think there's some potential there. Like, imagine having a truck that trundles down a highway, and it's like a beehive, and it has all of these drones inside, mm-hmm. and they fly out delivering stuff, and then fly back into the moving truck. Like, stuff like, you know, just stuff we haven't wow. seen before. That's a big idea, Jeremy Salvin. I can't even totally claim credit. Creepy. A friend of mine yeah. uh, came up with that. But, mm-hmm. but, you know, working on just things like that, where you never even, you know, the drone seems so basic right now. Okay, it's a little thing that mm-hmm. flies around, what have you. But... You know, having something that's stable and can fly around, there's a lot you can do with it. Yeah, And so I'm really kind of excited idea. about what's going to happen there. Jeremy, great talking to you as always. Thanks for coming by. Sure. Happy to be here. If you enjoyed the interview as much as I did, be sure to subscribe to the show. Be the first to listen to future episodes or catch up on previous episodes, including some really fantastic interviews with Aaron Levy, Jonah Peretti, and Ariana Huffington, just to name a few, all on recode.net slash decode. One of the best ways to support our show is to help us improve, and all you have to do is tell us a little bit about yourself. Take a short three-minute survey at recode.net slash podcast survey and help us by sharing your opinions on this show and how you listen to podcasts in general. Tell us how you really feel. The better we know you, the better the show can be. We always love hearing from you. Take a survey at recode.net slash podcast survey. And don't forget that Recode Decode is now twice a week. Every Monday, I'll be here with a fascinating guest in the red chair and Lauren Good of The Verge to discuss whatever you're too embarrassed to ask about. Then every Thursday, the brilliant Peter Kafka chats up with some of the top movers and shakers from the media world. Recode Decode, now twice a week. Coming up in a minute is my favorite tech guru, Lauren Good of The Verge, here to explain what some of our listeners were not too embarrassed to ask about virtual reality. But first, a quick message from one of our sponsors. Today's Too Embarrassed to Ask is brought to you by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. 
Hey, Lauren. I am glad to be able to look in your eyes when we do these podcasts, but I understand you might be more comfortable with this thing on your head. You're wearing a virtual reality device, correct? Where's, who's it from? Well, this one is the Samsung Gear VR. Uh-huh. We also have a Google Cardboard here. Yeah, it's a piece of cardboard. I ordered it on Amazon for yeah. about 20 bucks. This was 20 bucks. I could make you this. <laughs> like I think I just got something from Amazon, some <laughs> some toothpaste I could make you this with. <laughs> yeah, this actually does come with like a rubber band. Yeah, well some, done, Lauren. Good. Piece okay. of cardboard. Nice. It's cardboard. Nice That's what it is. It's so funny. Uh, so I have a bridge I want to sell you. Like a bridge? Cardboard bridge. <laughs> anyway, um, we're, what are we talking about here? We're, we're talking, talking about virtual reality. What are we talking about? That you look ridiculous Something in the helmet I'm or what? I'm so excited about. What? How um, so? Tell me I'm so. I'm very why. bullish on virtual reality because it's a very cool experience. Have you tried it? Yes, I have. I like it. I, ha- I used the ViewMaster VR last week with my kids. It's cool. It's definitely cool. I just think... It's not quite there yet. Have That's you tried the Oculus Rift? No, I, I, I long time ago, and I got nauseous. But I haven't seen their newest ones, or the anti-nauseous ones. Yeah, we're really we're expecting to see a consumer version, consumer-ready version, right? I think right. sometime next year. Right. Well, which why is don't very we? Exciting. Why don't we go through it? What is virtual reality, and how is it different from augmented reality, perhaps? But virtual, first, reality, virtual reality. You're, you're putting yourself in an alternate universe through software, basically, mm-hmm. when you're in virtual reality, and the content isn't just something that's directly in front of your eyes, like it would be on a flat or 2D screen. Mm-hmm. It's um, it's created in a way that it surrounds you. So mm-hmm. as, when you put on uh, the proper kind of headset or using the proper goggles, whatever it might be that creates this illusion, you're looking around you and instead of just seeing what's directly in front of you, you're, you can look down at the floor and see what's mm-hmm. on the floor and you can look up at the ceiling or the sky, you can look behind you. And so it puts you into this alternate alternative environment it's really quite amazing uh, whereas augmented reality is um, or AR as it's commonly known is something that creates a layer of information over the things in real life you're seeing in front of you right okay but so, virtual reality is the where the big action is right right now with Facebook well, both. I mean one, Microsoft Google. has HoloLens which right. is AR right but you're right I mean VR is what we're what we're right. chatting about today right. and, and what everybody's a lot going on and the big deal was when Facebook bought Oculus Rift oh yeah that was, was huge. the hottest company right yeah, actually, it was kind of funny. Um, I have this crazy side story, but um, when I was in grad school, this might have been a couple of years ago, and it was at Stanford University, and um, one day everybody on campus was whispering and very excited because Mark Zuckerberg mm-hmm. was there, and Mark Zuckerberg was touring the virtual reality lab right. that's in the communications department at, right. at Stanford, mm-hmm. where they do all kinds of cool behavioral tests and everything with people sure. after they've been wearing a VR headset, and and I think I remember talking to you about it and saying, that's interesting. Why is Mark Zuckerberg touring mm-hmm. the VR lab? And he was like, he, I, he was just very interested in what was going on over mm-hmm. there. And it must have been weeks later. That they bought that Oculus. That all yeah. of a sudden Facebook had purchased yeah. Oculus for billions of dollars. Yeah. Well, he's and, betting it. He doesn't have a phone, so he's going for the next thing. Mm-hmm. Correct? That's correct. So, what, so people are excited about it because it's the next it's beyond the phone. It's beyond the computer. It's a new immersive type of... Immersive is the word they like immersive. to use. Right. And it is. Yes. It sounds like a... Like a marketing term for it, but right. it actually is incredibly. I don't. It, it, so games here are the low low hanging fruit, and yes, then TVs, absolutely. movies, porn, et cetera. Yep, et cetera. absolutely. Right. Um, there are also some other use cases which we can get into Travel. as well. Uh, yeah, and and things uh, behavioral therapy. Right. Oh yeah, that's really right. Interesting yeah. use cases around yeah. that. Interesting. It just freaks me out. I'm sorry. Um, how much does it cost? This Samsung one. Well, it really varies. Uh, the Oculus Rift is hundreds of dollars, I believe. This, uh, or will be, we, I don't even know if we know the exact mm-hmm. price right now. This Google Cardboard can be found for very, very cheap online. I mean, mm-hmm. just dollars. Mm-hmm. And the Samsung Gear VR is $99. $99. Mm-hmm. And then it, you put your phone into it, right? You, you have to have a certain type of phone. Right. So okay. um, with the Samsung headset, which is actually powered by Oculus, it works mm-hmm. with the Galaxy Note 5, the Galaxy S6 Edge, the Galaxy S6, and the Galaxy Am I saying this all correctly? In the Galaxy And what about the S6 iPhone? Edge. Where does the iPhone fit in? You can put the iPhone in Google Cardboard. But not into the new sets, not to the Oculus. You can't Word. put it into the Samsung. What about the Oculus? One. No, uh, I don't believe you can. I mean, I think the so Oculus. No, Apple better get in here um, quick. Well, uh, yeah. Yeah. It needs a VR play here, right? I mean, would you buy an Apple made VR headset? I might if it was not as ugly as its new battery, perhaps. <laughs> No, because they're all ugly. No matter what they do, they're ugly. These things are ugly. They're not pretty. I mean, it's a great point. Yep. Okay, so we have some questions from readers. Justin at Casterland. Uh, Is there a Gear VR alternative for iPhones? See that? See, there you go. Yeah. So I would say right now, Google Cardboard is the best solution. You Mm -hmm. can use that with your iPhone. It's not like that one. It's different. No, it's it's different. It's a piece of cardboard. It's a little bit... uh, 
I don't know, janky. janky. It's not the best experience. Is that you a can, technical word, janky? No, I, I don't okay. know. All right. I'm not really. I really like your tech cred there, janky. Or it's janky. <laughs> it's goofy. All right. Uh, you can download the New York Times VR app and watch mm-hmm. some of the New York Times videos that um, they've yeah. been making in VR. They're actually pretty compelling. But so iPhone doesn't have a thing iPhone doesn't have a, a, no, so a I dog mean, in this I, hunt. So what we're talking about is a is a sort of band-aid solution right, but for the Apple hardware. Does not have a dog in this hunt. I'm, I'm giving you a, a metaphor. iPhone in, yes. But Apple does not have, I mean, there's no, right now on the market, there is no Apple-made VR headset that Why you not? wrap around your what head. Are they, Tim Cook, what are you up to over there in Tim Cookville? <laughs> All right. Irfan, Irfan Bajani, Banji, Banji. I'm sorry, I mispronounced everybody's name, so please don't take it the wrong way. Uh, what are the practical purposes of this tech other than gaming? Also, how do we not look ridiculous using VR? A point that I made quite intelligently earlier <laughs> in our discussion. Well, you don't not look ridiculous. You've pretty much accepted the fact that you're putting this headset on mm-hmm. your head. Uh, some of the practical purposes, um, entertainment. Earlier I mentioned that I was watching Netflix in a virtual living room um, mm-hmm. a little while ago with the Gear VR. That's yeah. pretty cool. So I was watching uh, Netflix in the Gear VR app. Yeah. Um, entertainment. Right. Uh, oh, well, Netflix. News. News. Um, You're in the news. You're in Syria, for example. You could be in Syria watching the news. Yeah, I saw this amazing food drop video happening mm-hmm. over sort of a field in the Sudan. Yeah. And it so it's up to these Sudan content creators. I think that's where the real amazing. action is. Who can make great content for this? And it's not necessarily the people that make great TV. And it's not just the gaming companies right. either. It's, right. a, it's everybody. Yeah. It's um, a whole new genre of content creation. I actually saw this really cool app in Gear VR that was a public speaking simulator. Mm-hmm. So if you need to practice your public speaking in front of a virtual audience. Excellent I know you don't. I don't need no. VR to help. But me imagine if there was a virtual code conference that someone could you know slip on the gear headset can and i then... still charge as much as we do <laughs> no. no i guess hey, that's not. great we should yeah. work on that as a revenue stream yeah. uh, they don't get to eat our delicious cookies that's the thing we have delicious cookies at code conference. we have delicious food i selected them myself mm-hmm. yeah and the networking yeah in person the actual you could do that networking. you could do that with a virtual reality people could be another but you could just pretend you you know I, don't know. I suppose. I guess. I actually at, at the Stanford Virtual Reality Lab, there are some really amazing examples of um, of how this can impact your behavior that they're that they're studying. There's been a, a study done on um, where, where you're wearing a virtual reality headset and you're a cow mm-hmm. in a field, you know, with other cows, and um, they were trying mm-hmm. to track whether or not that impacted how much meat people ate after they oh, were a, a cow and empathized with the cow. Oh. There's a Superman application where you're flying over buildings, and after oh. that, you might try to gauge whether or not you feel more confident or more empowered. Or that by you might doing jump so. off buildings, perhaps, um, and feel like you can fly. Yeah. I mean, that's, you could also you know, go the other way. Really you cool could get things. super violent and kind of like it, start killing people. Well, you could also, I mean, like on the flip side today, of that, but it like s- takes video games and makes them worse. Yeah, they become even more immersive. Yeah. Right. If you're playing lots of first person shooter games and this yeah. sort of thing, then how does that impact you? Well, you tend to like um, it. So you're a little bit removed from it in a regular game, but yeah. it could be scary. On the flip side of that, though, you could see how maybe this could be used to treat things like PTSD. Yeah. Um, you know, yeah, you relive it again, or right. get, help people get over the fear of flying. Yeah, I'm There's so many negative. things. I'm negative. I feel like well, you have to. We, bad. You're not n- negative. Um, sometimes you take a little dystopian view, but but well, you have to be realistic have the about chance, these things. Well, I'm sorry. Like this current, like I'm sorry. Trump, 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 Trump. Everybody. There's a real ugliness that could go with something like this. I yeah, think. absolutely. You know, you know, you could do things that you wouldn't do in real life, and then perhaps it bleeds. Feels like a that's movie right. I'm going to be writing for Hollywood soon. Um, feels like a movie that's already been written. Well, th- well, that's exactly what. Right. I mean, if if you're reaping the positive benefits of maybe using VR in behavioral therapy, then I think you're exactly right. The opposite mm-hmm. could be true. Yeah, I'm, I'm and I am on the opposite side. All right, at Azinmio22, uh, lots of demos from VR makers. Are there actual content developers making stuff for the devices, or is this another 4K TV hype? Oh, that's well. Good. I don't actually think 4K TV is hype because that's like saying HD TV was hype seven years ago. I mean, it's going to happen. It's just a matter of the technology catching up. But mm-hmm. I guess you could say the same here. There are content developers making stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, they are. But it's, again, different skill set. I was at a dinner last night. And? Uh, they were talking about it. It was a lot of Hollywood people. They're, it takes a different skill set. Well, it takes different equipment. I mean, you have to have either, you know, dedicated 360-degree cameras or you have to have multiple cameras set up in different positions. Like you can use a like a GoPro rig now with multiple GoPro setups that you're getting all of the mm-hmm. content from different cool. angles. Yeah, that's cool. I've seen um, some of that. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Because I'm uh, never going to jump out of a helicopter to go skiing. I'm never going to do it. 
Okay. All right. I'm do- I can do it in I'm virtual not, reality. I can do a lot of things I wouldn't do. I wouldn't surf. Like, are you kidding? But I could pretend I'm yeah, surfing. Yeah, with a headset on, you could be cool. Laird Hamilton. <laughs> <laughs> you could be anybody. I could. Okay. I could. I could, like, you could do it like Ooh, Jennifer you Lawrence. Like a- you could be Jennifer Lawrence and go through her day. Wouldn't yeah, that be cool? Or the Hunger Games. Yeah, like something like that. You, I, I have an idea. What? There should be a Yahoo CEO VR app where oh. you can be the Yahoo CEO oh, yeah, for a nice. day. Yeah. Oh, you look yeah. down and you're, you're just covered in purple. Yeah, and, and then you're like, and the stock is going down even every you have second. To, you have to do you something. Have to save it. Yeah, no, I think not. It I think that's a terrible job for anybody, especially because of the existence of Kara Swisher. Um, but there is going to be a new genre of creator in this area, I think, yeah, for I, sure. absolutely. All right, last question. At Drew, when will Recode Decode be available in VR? Never. Uh, oh, sorry. Go Drew, ahead, Lauren, answer that question. Uh, Kara, what Kara doesn't know is that we've been taping, videotaping these podcasts in uh, with VR cameras. Really? Yeah, they're positioned around the studio I right don't know now. anything more dull than watching um, me in VR. And, like, we're, and we're going to put pe- bring people inside the studio. Yeah, it's so exciting in here. It's like, <laughs> trust me, it's not in any way exciting. There are some things that are exciting, but my life is not one of them. It would start with like cats on my face and then move on from there in the morning. <laughs> <laughs> you know what I mean? Like and cats on your face too. You have a cat, right? Yeah, I do, but yeah. I, I don't need a virtual. Yeah, but I'm saying no one cat. would want to live my life. I think. Oh, I, I see what you're saying. Interesting. Maybe um, some of it. Is. You know, Rico did a really fascinating story a little while ago about uh, virtual reality porn. Yes, we did. Eric Johnson, very, our lovely podcast. Sounds salacious. It was very tastefully done. I recommend. Yes, uh, you go check it out. I don't think it was interested. that tasteful. I demanded a non-tasteful version of that video. Well, you're the editor. Yes, you can do that. No, but it was good. It's really important in those areas, not just porn, but just like travel. You can think of all kinds of experiential things where this will be really interesting, yep. good and bad, good mm-hmm. and bad. And, and believe me, I have no issue with some of the porn, but it's just, I think it's just, it's a really interesting. Like, what creatives are going to make this? What's going to work? What's going to mm-hmm. be great for people? And I think living in other people's lives is one thing that is super interesting, like living in another person's life. But at the same time, how do you solve the isolation factor? Yeah. So I had been talking about VR at home for months, and my significant other hadn't tried it. Mm-hmm. And this weekend when I brought the Care VR home mm-hmm. and he put it on, right. I mean, he ended up using it for literally hours yeah. to the point where he's kept saying, oh, my neck is starting to hurt because right. I'm looking up and down and looking all around. And he right. loved it. He found it so interesting well, and sure, so immersive. Well, sure, it's more interesting than your regular So life. he was hooked. But, but then you think, well, what if we're si- what if you know yeah, a year sitting. from now we're sitting on the couch and sure. we're watching Netflix with our VR headsets on, and you're sitting on one side and I'm sitting on yep. the other. I know, and we're isolated. Well, life is more interesting elsewhere. You know, it is like, but life is immersive, but not immersive enough. And once you get that much rich immersion, you're going to really have a hard time. I think. I don't know what what happens when we're in a world where we're all wearing headsets. We're sitting at our desk. What happens when? What happens exactly? It's going to happen. <laughs> I don't think that's a question. Anyway, Lauren, on that dystopian view of, of where we're going. Also, the games are fun. Um, thank you so much, and we'll be back next week for more Too Embarrassed to Ask. Thanks, Kara. Next week, we'll be back with another Too Embarrassed to Ask, and we want to know what all of you may be too embarrassed to ask about. Please tweet me, at Kara Swisher, with your burning tech questions. Lauren, how can people reach you? At Lauren Good, that's G-O-O-D-E. I'm on Snapchat, Lauren A-T-D. That's a throwback yeah. to uh, Lauren All Things D. Mm-hmm. And with the hashtag Tita, T-E-T-A, too embarrassed to ask. And we'll try to answer your questions. And also at Recode, right? And at Recode. Right. And at Karis Wisher. And everywhere. Just, just tweet at us. You yes. know how to find us. All right. That would be great. Thanks to you for listening. This has been another episode of Recode Decode. We now have two episodes every week. On Thursday, Recode's senior media editor, Peter Kafka, will be talking to Medium CEO, Ev Williams, who also founded a little company called Twitter. And next Monday, I'll be back with another great guest. Tune in then. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher, powered by digital media. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes, featuring candid conversations with leading voices like AOL CEO Tim Armstrong, Goldman Sachs' CIO Marty Chavez, the team behind the hit TV show Empire, Shark Tank investor Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton. They're all on Recode Replay.